0: do hit rewind podcast devoted to all sorts of garbage and crap and shitty things that you don't know i I
1: love i love that our intro changes almost week to week it
0: does i don't like no one's
1: ever gonna find us
0: no but hey Uh, i don't know what to do now (laughs) well no it is going to be you mean because of the title hit rewind oh yeah because like you know you kind of you kind of ex- no,
1: no 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 it was like because we keep introducing it differently I feel like oh people are yeah well, confused, like oh are they switching to another one no no translate? it's
0: just from now on out it's hit rewind if we ever discuss anything else like if we did trash cinema we would just say hey this is hit rewind we're discussing two trashy movies uh, just one banner yeah, from now on. Don't be
1: distracted that we introduce the show different every week. the you know We have different energy levels depending on when we're recording. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I was going to go, all right, fuck faces. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you don't like it, you're going to eat shit. <laughs> it's the holidays. I work retail.
1: Fuck that shit. Patch <laughs> blue ribbon. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh,
0: <laughs> this episode, <laughs> we're in the year 1985. Last entry of this year. We're moving on to 1986 Next. But before we go, uh, we are going to be discussing Life Force, Legendary Disaster, which actually isn't that bad if you get to see the director's cut, Um, and Cat's Eye, one of the last of the uh, real studio... Uh, non-indie oriented Stephen King movies for quite a while. I feel like this is kind of the tail end because they were flopping left and right. Uh Aha, that was a good one, tail end. Uh Aha, oh yeah, I didn't realize I was doing that. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Accidental. Um, Which do do you want to start off with?
1: Let's go with Life Force.
0: All right. Okay, so did you get to see the director's cut? I did. Okay, cool. there's Uh, kind
1: of like a secret director's cut, apparently, because I did look this up. And everyone says, and I even looked at the director's cut uh, DVD, and it says it's about an hour and 54 minutes, but apparently there is an even directier director's cut that's over two hours long, oh. um, which I don't know if anyone has that, but I did see the official director's cut.
0: Um, actually, I don't even know how long mine is. I, I think I told you, and I, I forgot already. I think it was like 124 minutes, because there's the international cut, and then there's um, the cut that uh, uh, Shout Factory put out, which is the one that I have and frankly i don't even know what they were fucking thinking canon films isn't exactly a known for <laughs> logic and reasoning <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i think they were just thinking oh summer of 85 we spent a ton of money on this we had to get as many viewings as possible but it doesn't make any sense there's so many montages and they cut out huge chunks and you got to go with the director's cut because they really flesh out especially the beginning scene where they're on the spaceship and they're introducing you know everything that's going on there. I watched the dire- uh, the uh, the original cut in theaters, and it was just like what took ten minutes was crushed into like a minute and a half. And it, it just, mm. um, but I think I still think this is a crazy ass movie that only the '80s and cocaine could bring you.
1: <laughs> mm. It, um, yeah, it is Nosferatu on steroids, basically.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the craziest thing: is the first time I saw this movie was on television. I can't remember how they even cut around this. It must have been 12 minutes long and everything was a pan and, and, you know, there's no CGI to add close to her. They had to just skirt around the fact that she's naked for the entire movie.
1: They just have to, like, I don't know, digitally add shadow or just, like, cut to extreme close up to her face or to the background, I guess. Well, I
0: think if I remember correctly, it was huge pan and scan. Like, they would, they would have to zoom in so far and then just keep the camera just off of her. Like, you could see her hands or her face, and that was it.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: And so, you know, I, I, that's just insane to me that they thought that they were like, oh, yeah, we'll make our money back on TV sales. No, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> um but I, I guarantee you, this was a movie that was rented over and over, and certain spots of that VHS tape were wore out for sure. <laughs> oh, yes.
1: <laughs> this is the kind that people did not rewind when they put it back on the shelf.
0: we're <laughs> like, we all know
1: why we're renting it. Let's just cut to the first good part.
0: I still think it's a fun movie, though. It, there's a little bit of dragging, especially with the whole she's hopping from body to body and you can't tell who she's infected or whatever. And it's a little weird, for sure. Um, it, it's hard to believe that there's a scene with Patrick Stewart with her inside of his body. And she's <laughs> uh, she's in love with him. She needs you. Um, that was strange. But I think the ending is a corker, man. It is so much fun. You They spent so much money. And just watching all of London just be sieged by... This, i mean mean—they're vampires, but they're also zombies. You know that—that that kind of look and feel.
1: Yeah. But they—they so they have to—they have to feed, and they don't really seem to have any sort of consciousness. So yeah, it's a yeah. little—it's a little zombie-ish.
0: The—that's uh, the thing, though. A lot of these kind of movies—they don't have the budget to show you like the epic scale, whereas this movie doesn't hold back.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by the special effects that I didn't expect them to be that detailed and to go on for that long and they're pretty good honestly but uh day by day standards i think i think the uh the withered husks could use a little bit of slime or something on <laughs> yeah they but look a little dry
0: i i 85 seems to be the year where they really mastered a lot of the horror puppetry because we had just watched um uh day of the dead and return of the living dead which had excellent special effects and then fright night has excellent excellent puppetry work but I really think that the transformations in this were pretty groundbreaking at this time.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I think they're, they're fantastic. It's definitely one of the, the best parts, or one of the most fun, at least, to watch.
0: Yeah. This, uh, written by Dan O'Bannon, who was known for doing Alien, uh, and had just done uh, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, Don mm-hmm. Jacoby, who would later go on to do John Carpenter's Vampires and Arachnophobia. Right. Um, So you got some horror pedigree in here, and of course the legendary Toby Hooper, who, this destroyed his career. The three-picture contract that he signed with Canon Pictures destroyed everything that he had built up with Poltergeist. People started saying that he didn't direct it, that Steven Spielberg took over, that he was addicted to cocaine and he couldn't be controlled. And, uh, you know, over the last couple years that has really been, like, cleared up, and that's not true, spielberg helped him out on poltergeist he didn't take over he just helped him with the action sequences is what he kind of did and the cocaine thing yes uh some is true but it didn't destroy him he was still able to do his job but, we're talking about the 80s dude
1: everyone was yeah
0: everybody was so on
1: cocaine <laughs> let's not start judging people right now
0: yeah um, seriously, you guys chugging um coke, uh, caffeine drinks. <laughs> I'm t- I really, <laughs> 300 milligrams of caffeine, and you're telling me cocaine's bad? <laughs> it seems to have yeah, the same. Yeah, Jesus
1: Christ, dude, what the fuck is going on? All, I I just see people with energy drinks all the time, and it kind of it it's weird. It disturbs me a little bit. I see old
0: people with it. I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea. Oh, yeah, that's no good. That's um, gonna be a heart attack. But this is like his big showcase. It's a $25 million movie, only made 11. Uh, but the three movies he did was this. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Come on, that's a masterpiece right fucking there. That's, I think, my favorite of the whole franchise. That's
1: his, that's his best movie.
0: And uh, Invaders from Mars. And that one's not as good. It's a little too expensive, but it's such a goofy idea. I don't think it works, but I give him credit for trying. Uh um, that's the
1: one with Jack Nicholson as the president.
0: No, that's Mars Attacks. Oh, okay. That that was ten years later. Vader from Mars, like these huge, monstrous for creatures that kind of replicate people. It's it's a very goofy fifties uh, remake, um, but I I truly enjoy what he's trying to go for here. This is a very big epic story, but for adults, there's no real. I mean, yes, there's exploitation elements and horror and the nudity. But this is a complicated, not your usual horror story. This feels, you know, I mean, it's shot in England, but it feels like their kind of horror movie as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the the cast take the subject matter extremely seriously, and sometimes that could be uh, comical, but most of the time it really works. I think, really, in the last act, it really starts to pick up. Like you were saying earlier, when uh, the two our two heroes, I guess, are. Um, Uh, go to or on the helicopter and and they get sent to like the quarantine zone. And then they realize that inside the quarantine zone, it's already too late and things just start cascading from there. And they have to figure out what's going on and how to stop it. Like all of that is really good. It's a really strong finisher.
0: Yeah. The, uh, I think the performance by Steve Railsback, our lead is fucking bonkers. (laughs) He's always known for kind of a a crazy actor. He was uh legendary for doing the, uh, Helter Skelter movie back in the seventies where he played Charles Manson but um, That's how can see that, yeah. I think Peter Firth, the British actor, I think he's more controlled, and I think he gives a better performance. Because there's some stuff that Railsback does that I, I don't understand. <laughs> Just where he's like begging, "Let me go." He says, "Let me go" like 800 times. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Can someone stop him now from doing this? <laughs> <laughs> but um, Matilda May, what a brave performance! I mean, she's naked for almost the entire movie, and she's in front of a huge. Crew and cast. <laughs> this... The only time she wasn't naked is when she
1: was pre- when her body was pressed up against somebody making out with them. That's the only time I can remember her not being naked. Yeah. Oh, or that, or that time she was covered in blood after it was spewing out of Patrick Stewart's face. Oh, that was a good effect. I like that one. That that one was cool. I really like that. It, it, it that was the only time it actually felt like a, a space anomaly kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, and I liked the rules that they set up. Like, if you're a natural vampire, you know, you can keep replenishing the energy from other people, but if you're not, the rules are different, and you can just, you know, dehydrate and disintegrate or whatever instantly. Um, and and explode. Takes, yes, and it takes that special sword to take out the real vampires. Um, but I, Yeah, the, there was a lot of great build-up, and I love that the first,
1: the first act of the movie... Um, is very much like a, an experiment. Like they found out what's going on, but now they're just trying to figure out, like, what's the extent of this? How bad is this problem?
0: Yeah. Um, and also the casting of illusions. They just look like bats, but they take illusions from other people's minds of what they want to see. So they want to see a beautiful woman, they want to see a beautiful man. And then, you know, when they escape, they can pretend to be other people as well. Yeah, I was disappointed that there was no penises, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if they're going to show the other one, they might as well, but it was the 80s, and it seems like Ding Dongs really didn't make it on the screen. I know, but, you know, it would, it would help that lady, I bet,
1: you know? If there's was like, alright, there's dudes with their penises out, I, I guess that's okay.
0: Oh my god, Billy Idol was offered a lead role as a vampire? Oh yeah, into... he was
1: supposed to be one of the... One of the two guy vampires I think
0: yeah well they would've had to give him something to do though for Pete's sake unless they were just gonna offer him a bunch of cash just to stand there and look pretty probably I don't know he's probably not a good actor anyway no well he was okay but he's playing himself in um, Wedding Singer I think he's in the Doors movie with Jim with uh, Val Kilmer if I remember correctly
1: oh I haven't seen that
0: um, so uh, the, the music, I think, is absolutely astonishingly good. Uh, Henry Mancini, one of the great musicians of all time, composers. I This is a big, epic score. Mm-hmm. But I, I highly recommend this. But only watch the director's cut, which is now available in the Shout Factory. The version you'll get digitally is the original cut. Don't do that. Friends, don't let friends watch the original cut of Force. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it,
1: it, 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 it's... It's a little strange because the first third is very slow and it builds on top of itself. It's a very slow burn at first. And then it has some pacing issues in the middle, but the end, it really picks up and it really sticks to landing. So I would say definitely watch. uh,
0: It (coughs) feels like old Hammer films where they really required your patience, but the end was always kind of a banger. Yeah, I mean, this legitimately is like the original Dracula
1: storyline just with Space Vampires.
0: Right. Our second film is Cat's Eye, one of the last of the, like I said, the big studio releases before Dino De Laurentiis, who apparently licensed all of the Stephen King stories and would start releasing them under his own company, which uh, went horribly wrong, as we can see with Maxima Overdrive. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, uh, MGM released this one. Cost 7, made 13. Anthology movies tend to be kind of lower budget, but also don't make a whole lot of money. I think the biggest one is Creepshow. I like anthology films because of my attention span. And it, 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 it helps a story from becoming too drawn out. Because um, I see a lot of horror movies where I feel like they were based on a short story and they're just like, well, we only had 40 minutes of work to do with, now we had to fill it, you know, to make an entire movie and it just feels padded.
1: Yeah. Sometimes horror just works in in short bursts to give you the maximum effect. Like, if you think back to like, there's this, there was this huge movement uh, a few years ago where they were taking really popular uh, short horror films and then making feature length movies out of them like Mama is one of them, Lights Out. And if you compare the short film, which is usually like two minutes, do an hour and a half movie, it does not translate.
0: Yeah, it they did that this uh,
1: log that's impossible to watch. And it's unfortunate because these are really talented directors and on a very small budget are able to give you something incredible.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of the anthology films now though seem to be testing ground for directors. And they're not long like this one. I mean, this is only three stories, uh, an hour and a half. And nowadays I feel like they cram 20 stories or more into these anthology films, and you really can't get into it. it. They truly feel like they were just bought. You know, like they were made before, and someone just went around going, okay, you got a short film, you got a short film, they're all scary, they're scary and tone, yeah, okay, let's put them all together, and film. I'll give you $1,000 for it, or whatever. Yeah, Instead of uh,
1: the ABCs of Death, that's 26 uh, short films in one hour and 40-minute movie. Yeah, and
0: Tales of Halloween and stuff like that. I just feel like they're just a hodgepodge, there's no real focus. Whereas this is one of the films where it's all the same writer, it's all the same director and so it has one vision and so Louis Teague has just come off of doing Cujo I believe and uh, he picks three stories from the Night Ship collection uh, Quitters Incorporated The Ledge and General Um, and I think I think this is one of the more coherent it may not be the best of the bunch I still think Creepshow is the best of the anthology movies and then Tales from the Dark Side probably next how do you go with your anthology films it's definitely Creepshow first I'm a huge a Trilogy of Terror I have never seen that I gotta get around to You've doing never
1: that seen I you
0: know I know you brought this up to me before and I gotta get around to yeah. it someday yeah. Karen Black is a National Treasury you gotta check out <laughs> <treasury>. <laughs> um, so the three stories in this one the first one is Quitters Incorporated with James Woods trying to quit smoking Alan King is the guy running the company um, or the self-help whatever you want to call it and is absolutely ruthless in his methodology and this isn't the best one but i do love the tension of every single time he turns around that he thinks he's in the clear he's fucked
1: that's you know, funny i can't remember these that's so funny i watched it a couple of weeks ago i have like no memory
0: oh wow okay the well only,
1: the only real one i remember is the last one the last one is the one with the troll right
0: yes uh, really? that's
1: the really the only really memory I have. That's oh man, that's okay. not good. you have to.
0: That's not good. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. Take the take the lead on this. I'm sure we'll come back. Okay, on. so
0: this is the one where James Woods he's desperate to quit smoking, so he goes to Quitters Incorporated, run by Alan King, and he's he thinks he's joking when he tells him that every time you smoke, some major thing is gonna happen. I'm gonna beat your wife. Um, we're going oh, that's to, right. okay, we're, I remember that. yeah. Then your your daughter will be electrocuted. Then your wife will be raped, and then I believe it's and then they'll be killed or whatever. And he's desperate to quit, but he just he thinks he has like these little loopholes. Like they're stuck in traffic, and he dips his head down or whatever to smoke, just real quickly or whatever. And all of a sudden he gets up. There's someone staring at him. He's like, no, no, it was just one little puff. And you know they keep getting tortured, and finally he quits. And then he meets someone else at their, like, little smokers, anonymous, whatever. And one of the persons shows that his wife has quit, or that they have quit too, but his wife's fingers are missing. So you really know how dangerous this truly is. Okay, yeah, that's that's more familiar now. Sorry, I couldn't jump in. But... Well, it is the holidays um, as well, so.
1: Yeah. So yeah that's so funny that like uh until you mentioned the guy made the hip made him that deal that's when i that's when it, I, it just suddenly snapped yeah okay and of uh, course, james he, wood is always fantastic so you're not gonna get any complaints from me about that yeah um he's a piece of I, shit in
0: real life and turns out he's yes. really good at playing a piece of shit but i i can separate oh, yeah. the actor from the performance
1: i mean like, usually uh, yeah he is he always says bring a good performance and it's also notable that his best roles are him being an asshole, like uh, his character from Casino um, or from Video Videodrome. Right. Like he's I, supposed to be a hero. I
0: really like this movie he did called Cop. It was about a serial killer, and he's kind of a reckless, uh, doesn't play by the rules. I mean, that's a little cliche, but he, he's really on fire in that fucking movie. And uh, nobody, ever, I don't know anybody who ever talks about it, but it's really good uh what year is that movie? 89 that. i believe oh okay sweet then we have not missed it no we haven't and i'm gonna to try to get it on our voodoo account before i just wanted to go on sale damn it <laughs> <laughs> um and so of course the cat is a connective tissue to all three stories i think it's a little forced but uh so in the beginning it opens up you know it's running past the car from christine with cujo in it uh just as a nod to the old movies and uh so this is the cat that's uh, grabbed and thrown onto electricity to show as an example. It escapes and then it goes to a high rise and you know, that becomes part of that story. And I think that's my favorite one is um, this rich old man uh, grabs uh, Robert Hayes who starred in um, Airplane, uh, tells him that uh, you're cheating uh, with my wife. And you have a choice. I kill you now or you walk around the ledge of this building It's very, very high. And uh, I'm going to throw all sorts of obstacles at you. But he doesn't tell him that at the time. He thinks it's just a simple walk around. And every fucking turn he takes, there's something. There's a bird pecking at his leg. There's uh, the guy uh, uh, shoves open the windows or whatever. There's always something. And I'm terrified of heights. So this one really got to me.
1: Yeah, this one, uh, not for the faint of heart, this one's a little intense. I mean, you think it's, it's kind of weird that it doesn't seem like it's going to be that intense, but it, it really does uh, build every single turn, just kind of amps up the, the level of anxiety.
0: Yeah, and um, Robert Hayes, like I said, is mostly known for the airplane movies, and he, for his almost entire career, was only in silly comedies. And I think he gives an excellent, surprising performance in this. I truly believe that he's terrified. They make me believe that he's up on that ledge, even though I'm sure it's like 10 feet off the ground. If that,
1: yeah.
0: Um, Very well directed. The tension, I think, on this one is the best. The pacing on it is probably the best as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's, not much to say about it. It's uh, very simple, pretty short, and pretty good.
0: Yeah, and uh, the third and final chapter the one that everybody talks about and usually remembers the best is uh, the more fantasy element one where uh, Drew Barrymore who um, has an appearance in all three of these as a different character I forgot about that that's the other connective tissue Um, but the cat has now escaped from the the high rise and now is over at Drew Barrymore's house who is a little girl being terrorized by uh, what is it a gnome an elf a goblin I don't know. I, whatever you want. Uh, it does act like that the whole time. Look I you. <laughs> um, I think they do a really good job with the special effects for 1985 of trying to make the two worlds. Because clearly it's a it's a, a, a little person in a suit. And trying to juxtaposition that with what's really there, I think they did a good job of.
1: And directing the cat,
0: which is impossible to yeah. do.
1: I think they did a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, and this is the one where it's really the cat's story. Because this one, yeah. he's not just a small part of it. Um, he's the main focus. He's trying to be, uh, you know, defeat the troll and save the little girl. Yeah,
1: because the cat is always just kind of like witnessing events in the first two. And this one takes an active role
0: yeah and of course the parents don't believe her and and, uh, they think she's crazy whatever and I I think this one's a lot of fun but I still prefer the second one
1: Mm, I I prefer this one I mean obviously it's the one I most remember Um, I I don't know I I think it's just because I remember seeing it as a kid and that was the one that really stood out to me and so this time around I was just like waiting for that story to come up
0: yeah, um, this one got a lot of really good reviews um, of the bunch. Roger Ebert and Siskel both loved it. and They hated horror movies. <laughs> yeah, um, Kevin Didn't Thomas did they shit on the thing? They shit on everything. Uh, every every horror movie they seem to just take a large dump on. I oh, and Blade Runner. Uh, my favorite of this is Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Gave this a uh, a solid review before he became known as a comic book artist or a comic book writer. That's oh, cool. Alright, so that is it for this episode. We're moving on to 1986 where we're going to be discussing Manhunter. And I can't remember the second film. Do you remember what I told you? I can't. I no, I one. was
1: just, I was so pumped for Manhunter because I've seen that
0: movie like five or six times and I really want to see it again. Yeah, so we're going to be uh, adding some more action thrillers. Well, not what would you call it? It's more of a... It's not an action. It has an action I'm ending, saying. I guess. But we yeah. Don't, you know, yeah. We've been kind of stuck on the horror movies for a while. We don't do a whole lot of throws. Oh, The Hitcher. <laughs> fucking Hitcher. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. So that's me, two great movies we'll be discussing next time. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a good night. Good night,
1: everybody.